0: Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode 2023.7. I'm Rohan and with me, as usual, we've got Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, Rohan. How's it going? Good. Uh, this episode's been sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Casa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and the ESP home projects. Configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certs, or any kind of YAML.
1: All right, let's jump into it, Phil. 2023.7 is going to be huge. Um, yeah. Well, I think we're going to have a big episode there's, today. There's a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's Well, first and foremost, there's the year of the voice kind of headline that's like happening now. Um, so that's chapter three. So if you've been following this year, they did chapter one and chapter two, where they talked about a lot of the voice features coming in uh, into Home Assistant, uh, being focused on privacy and so on. Um, rather than having to use things like your Amazon Echo and and so on you can you know hopefully eventually start to leverage home assistant for that uh for that bit um we actually got the chance to catch up with Mike Hansen uh who is the person behind a lot of the voice features that's coming into home assistant um and and kind of what it, what he's been up to with the year of the voice um so check that out we're going to premiere that on July 9th um, and then the chapter 3 uh from Nabucasa uh, also lands in July, so should be should be good timing. Um, check out where Mike's headspace is at, and then and then have a listen to that uh, to that episode where, uh, or sorry, to the uh, chapter three announcements.
1: There, mm-hmm. yeah, because we, 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 when we actually recorded chapter three, wasn't a w- uh, an idea yet. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what is in chapter three and and what is in, in chapter three. It's pretty fun. Um, But, yeah, it was a a great chat with Mike. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to talk about what's coming. Yeah. All right. Um, um, 2023.7, Rohan. I think I say this every release. This is my favorite release of the year so far. But this one, I think, has one of the biggest, uh, I think Paul has described it on our creator's call, it's one of the biggest changes in Home in 10 years. And I would agree with that. Um, and I think is the headline of this. So this is a big change in things moving forward, Um, and that is that services can now respond, or if you're a programmer, you uh, return uh, with data. Um, And this is something that's been missing for me for ages. So uh, as an example, when you make a call to turn on a light switch or call a script, there was no way for that uh, call to the service to return data. So uh, you would need to store things in like input helpers, you know, if you're calling a script, Um, you then have to get that to save in, you know, like an input text or an input um, select somewhere. Now services can return data, which can then be used in your automations. Um, So, for example, um, if you want a script which returns the events in your calendar for today, you can do that and the script will then uh, bubble that information back to whoever called it, so the automation that called it. Um, and I think one of the use cases that the home is going to feature is now with chat GPT um, there's a couple of new services that have been brought in. So one is a new uh, calendar uh, list events service. so you can call calendar dot list events and it will return a JSON structure so an array right. of events that are on your calendar. You can then have your automation save that into a variable inside your automation, push that over to a new conversation endpoint for ChatGPT, uh, and you can tell ChatGPT, uh, "Here is the weather today. Here is the uh, events in my calendar. Summarize that into something that sounds like a Jarvis announcement." For example, ChatGPT yeah. then responds back with the you know summary text of your events and the weather and all that, you can then use that data, return the data or the response from ChatGPT, and push that to a notify service. So that could be to your phone as a push notification, a Telegram message, or text-to-speech around the house. So... Um, yeah, so, that's
0: pretty cool. So you can do the whole like I know I know like the Amazon Echo and stuff natively has this too, being like, hey, what's on, what's on the what's on the list today, or or yeah. like a lot of people have it integrated with their Good Morning scripts, right? Saying hey, yeah. Good Morning, and then it'll it'll go in and say whatever. The nice thing here is you can integrate that with the Home Assistant uh, uh voice to text and and like the Home Assistant like ear the voice project yeah. essentially, right? And have that in a more private way, right? So now what's happening and it could be a notification, it could be a um you know whatever an email alert a webhook that it fires off to some other service Absolutely. or anything like that so you can, it doesn't have to be voice right but voice is probably one of the more common use cases where you're like hey what's my day looking like and it actually queries home assistant which might have integrations in with your calendar and and so on and so forth so there's actually a really neat use case there right um uh, to say hey this is what I can this is where I can go with Having that integration in and and combining that again, responding with data and and so on and so forth is, um, I think uh, I think a pretty neat approach of doing it. Right.
1: So, I have a different use case. So, um, hmm. one thing that I have so I have a smart lock in my home, and it allows me to push custom user access codes. So, for example, um, if the cleaner is coming over or um, in-laws coming over, I can have a different code um, that is unique to them and they can punch it in. But then I can disable it, you know, so it's after sunset or out of working hours, you know, those people can't access the front door. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the problem I have with that is that I need to tell, so for me to push over that pin code, let's say it's 1234, Home Assistant needs to make a service call over Z-Wave to the door lock and say, uh, user slot one has code 1234. Now, the problem I have there is I need Home Assistant to be able to keep those access codes in a variable somewhere, and I've been using input numbers for that. Now, from a security point of view, anyone that can access my developer tools um, can then see the access code in the developer as just an entity, right? So it's on my default love-based dashboard. There's an entity uh, cleaner access code Um, 1234. Now I can create a script that says um, return me what the cleaner's access code is um, and that will return from the service call. Um, Still not as secure, you know, yes, if you know what you're doing, you could access the data, but it does mean I don't need an entity dedicated to just the access code for this person. Um, and now I can have, I can leverage, uh, I'm guessing I can leverage secrets to do this as well. So, um, in my script, I can then leverage a secret, um, which I could previously do with the variables and all that got messy. Um, but I think this is, yeah, just a, a very cool way to be able to, yeah, go in, um, and return things to automations. Another cool thing is, um, just being able to create like consistency, um around the places so if you want a script that uh is like a global way for the house to know all right the lights need to be dimmed at this level because it's this time of the evening previously you would i would have to copy over like uh templates to the same automations put them in variables and all that it it gets messy now could just have a script what is the percentage for the lights meant to be and it calculates it on the fly um so there there are a couple of ideas i've been toying with i don't know ryan if there's anything in, in your home that you would find a use case for being able to return data instead of having to cache it somewhere
0: i mean it's i think i think more just from a state perspective i'd love to see you know what if a service happens i'd love to see like again for for devices that support it right a proper in band if you want to call it like that like a like a return saying like hey you know this is like yep we've verified the service and it's good right like yep. whatever that is um and i know some stuff does it today right like but it, it can be a more generic doesn't matter where like kind of wider spread kind of uh piece there but i think that is i i, I don't have as big of a use case i do want to try playing with again i i'm 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 at the point where i think i want to start playing with some of the uh you're the voice stuff mm. um i've played with it a little bit, but I haven't I haven't actually like jumped in with both feet. But I think I think I do want to start doing those kind of things. Um maybe replacing things like my Amazon Echo and doing those kind of things. Um I don't know if I'm that far in yet, but or or what that's gonna entail. Um but that that's why I'm excited for the for the chapter three to see what uh what You're the voice chapter three has to hold um in, in terms of that. Right. So I think uh, I'd, I'd love to see, yeah, more of that kind of stuff, and then more of like the kind of the use case that we talked about, right? That, that you initially talked about, saying, "Hey, like, you know, I can we can ask it something, it can go in, return something from that service, and then run that through another service, potentially like ChatGPT or whatever."
1: Yep, yep,
0: right. Um, and then from there, do whatever else, right? So, so it's more of a I can actually start replacing these. So, right now, the problem is with with the home assistant voice, I have no way of being like hey, what's the weather today in Paris, France, right? Um, Whereas with with Amazon Echo or Google Homes or stuff like that, I can do that because it is internet connected. It is able to talk to whatever, right? And query whatever services. So with this, potentially I can start doing that now because I can start doing things like, like you said, like returning returning, uh, values in directly and do it simply. Not to say that I can't do it today. It's just, that'll be like four or five
1: steps instead of one. Right One I guess yeah now, yeah, now, the issue you've got, though is like yes, you could call a as long as you know that you want to get the weather from Paris, France, that's fine. I don't think you could create like that you know change that to Sydney, Australia tomorrow, right, I think you're still yeah. gonna need like a lot of updates to um the voice stuff still, the return stuff um that is here today would allow you to at least. Uh, put a, a script that says, all right, call, yeah. you know, weather.com um, for Paris, France, and and, and, re- and return that back to your automation or whatever exactly. uh, you've got, and then push it to wherever you need to.
0: Exactly. So, so the, the rest of those pieces now can come in with like, again, like you send something out to chat GBT, it returns you like, Hey, what are the coordinates of Paris, France, as an example, right? comes back and then that's, that's something true. you can push, push into. Um into like whatever weather service or whatever that yeah. you're querying, right? Whatever API. So I, again, my, I guess maybe I misspoke a little bit when I said, you know, I can do it in one call or two. So maybe it's not one or two, maybe it's like a couple rather than, you know, seven, eight different steps, right? Ping ponging back and forth. You go yeah. now ask you, now go ask this, now go figure that out. So I think, I think that's where it becomes a lot easier. And even things like, again, uh, there, there's other services too, right? Not just Chat GPT. It could be even BARD as an example, right? Like where it is internet connected and can pull more live data and stuff like that, right? Um, I know it didn't like really the best wrap after some of this, their demos and stuff, but I mean other other than that, like or or whatever other service, right? It doesn't have to be one of those two too. So I think it's just I think it just makes it a little bit easier when you're able to go
1: pull in some of those pieces there. That's true. So, I guess if you if you're using the home assistant assist, I wonder. I haven't played with it yet properly, but I wonder. You know, if you you know type in you know what is the weather in Sydney, Australia, and yeah. it shoots off you know a call to ChatGPT. I wonder if the response back you can then say, okay, Sydney, Australia has these coordinates. You can with these return values. Maybe not in this release. Maybe in the future. This is where we're sort of heading. You can say, okay, uh, the value had this location. All right, I'm going to take that location, pump it over through this script, which will call for a weather API, return that data back, and then return yeah. this to your notification system. Like that's where Again, we can This is of- an example.
0: I'm sure there's weather APIs out there where I can just say Sydney, Australia, and it'll go out and <laughs> give me the weather for Sydney. Right? Like it's yeah. just just as an example of like some of the things you may be able to do. But even even from a home assi- a home assistant assist perspective right like you know you have let's say you're a little M5 stack you push the button and you say okay get me the weather for for again my previous example paris france right it can go in and then, and then bring that bring the result back in in that same service right and then based on that i can do something else so it just makes it a little more efficient can i do this today probably Right, you can probably do it easy today, but it just makes it a little easier, right? Having and a little more efficient, right? So, the way I look at it is, if that's one less sensor, if that's one less anything like that, that's that much more efficient on my system.
1: So, to support all this, you know, return data, it's not available in all services. I think they've only enabled it. You know, for example, like the calendar um, conversation yeah. uh, integration enables it, and any scripts that you have custom built, they will. Be supporting uh, return values. Home Assistant internally, there are three types of responses that all services uh, can be are expected to uh, adhere to. That is that they will always have a response, so they will always return something. They sometimes have a response. So, for example, calling a weather service for the weather service is offline. Maybe it won't return any data, and it never has a response. Currently. Every integration in Home Assistant, bar the calendar conversation and new scripts, will be set to um, never has a response. Um, and then, as they slowly in future releases, they'll you know enable responses for the light domain, the switch domain. Um, they'll be able to you'll be able to know okay, yes has a response, um, and do this. So yeah, I can I can even see things like for example. Um, one of the frustrating things I find at the moment is, if I turn a light on, on for whatever reason, and the Home Assistant UI will actually turn if it fails because maybe the Z-Wave network's down or the Zigbee sticks, you know, not working. Home Assistant the UI will vibrate my phone and you know, think, "Nope, there's an error, couldn't send that data." But there's no way for me to know that that light switch that light hasn't come on from an automation perspective. So if I walk into a room, and I'm not looking at the Home Assistant UI. I don't know yeah. that that service call failed. In the future, home return value should be able to say, okay, you just called the light turn on service, I written returning false, um, I, that didn't work, there was an error. I can then have an automation to say, okay, uh, send an alert to Phil's phone to say, we just tried to turn the light on in the hallway, it didn't work. Now you need to, something's yeah. wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's, that would be a, a fantastic use case. Um, or yeah. even I can then automate my troubleshooting and go, okay, the light didn't turn on in the hallway, is Z-Wave network down? Yes? No? Okay. If it is, maybe reboot the Docker container that's running Z-wave JS. Um, yeah. whole bunch of um, stuff this opens up for. But anyway, yeah, enough about that. Um, go for the next one, Rahan.
0: Yeah, I think we kind of touched on this, but there's also a new service to speak to the conversation agent, right? So um, basically the idea is it responds with what Home Assistant did. So for example, um, if you use ChatGBT, you can call ChatGPT in an automation and then push that data to your TTS agent, right? So um, it, it's it's we'll, we'll leave the show notes. We'll leave it in the show notes. But there's basically Alan Porter has created a even a blueprint that kind of does that summary for you in ChatGPT, um, and uh, yeah, it, it is it is pretty neat.
1: Yeah. So essentially, I, I like like so in your automation, you can actually say, "All right, uh, pretend I said, turn on the light." And then yeah. that will return back and say, okay, according to the assistant, here's what I did. Um, so that's pretty cool. Also a great way to debug, you know, um, how people would speak to your home. If you want to maybe have some unit tests in your own mm-hmm. home, you know, does home business turn on the bathroom light when someone says turn on the bathroom light um, yeah. or if they say in a, a different way. So that's very good as well. Um yeah. There's a new entity dialogue for locks. So in previous releases, we've talked about the new uh, dialogues for alarm panels, lights, um, the locks now have that. So just bringing that uh, in line with everything else. So good to see that being updated.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I,
1: I'm, I'm really liking the new uh, entity dialogues, mm. right? Or, or what it's worth. They, I think they look really nice. I think there's going to be um, a very sexy one in the next release for climate devices. Mm. If it, makes, it didn't make it into this release. But from what I saw, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the August release. Yeah, that should be nice.
0: Um, open Assistant action. So you can now place a button on your dashboard, which will open the assist assistant. All right. Home assistant,
1: <laughs> assist assistant. Such a mouthful. Uh,
0: so, for example, if you have a wall-mounted tablet, um, rather than trying to go find the little button on the side somewhere, mm. um, you can just stick a button. Press that, and it'll basically say, "Hey, you know what? Go uh, run run the script that basically opens that assist um, assistant." Um, but on that though, there's also a little side note, which is kind of cool. Um, there's now over a million Android uh, devices running the Home Assistant app. So, um, yeah, that's that's a that's a really that's cool, cool. Uh, random size that's statistic. But that is that is actually a pretty pretty large amount of <laughs> installs, right? So. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Thanks.
1: Yeah. So here's something that's not in the notes, um, but I think it was rolling out in beta uh, for the Android app. So I'm not sure if it's going to be released um, as of when 2023.7 goes out. But the Android app is currently working with um, enabling like Android assistant features so in android phones you have the ability to choose which assistant you want to run so if you've got the amazon little lady app on your phone so the amazon echo app on your phone yeah. you can choose to have her as your phone's assistant if you've got a samsung phone it might default to bixby um and of course everyone knows google assistant is also on android phones when you just say hey there google open up you know home assistant. um there the assist assistant is now available as an option on these android devices which means you can then use your phone's native way of calling the assistant to then directly talk to the home assistant assistant um so yeah very cool um so if you've got a wall-mounted tablet which is an android and it has the ability to support these custom assistants instead of having to you know find a little soft button. You could if there is a hardware button to call a voice assistant on your tablet on the wall, you could just walk up to the tablet, push that button, and you'll be directly talking to home assistant. So that's very good.
0: Which is cool. Is there is there a way to in Android again because just I'm not an Android user, yep. but uh is there a way to tie like instead of saying the keyword like uh whatever Google, um, is there a way to say like okay, assist or something like that today, and it and it can trigger that. Like I know, I know it's not natively in the Android app that that
1: Home Assistant
0: any app. But is there a way to like have a shortcut that it could do that or no?
1: I'm not sure. I think it depends. Like, so the Google definitely has uh, the ability to do this. I think when your phone's unlocked um, or, or something, you can you can have that option to say, you know, when I say the key, you know, the magic phrase, it will wake up the mm-hmm. phone and do that. Similar to what I think Siri has for the iPhone. Um, but for third-party <coughs> apps like the Amazon Echo, um, I I know you can set her as the default assistant but I think you still need to physically hold, like I've got a Samsung S22 or S23, whatever yeah. it is. You hold. You've got to hold down the home button to let her start listening. Um, I assume that this is going to be the same for the home assistant app. So there's not going to be any wake word that you can just walk up to a tablet and yell. You have to take right. some physical action to enable the mic, to turn on the microphone and allow to the, the app. Understood. Okay. Okay. All right. I mean, It's something, right? Like it's... uh, Oh, well, if there's a million Android devices out there, it's a very uh, quick way to get access to um, the home assistant, voice assistant um, on all those devices already with existing hardware. So especially if you've got like an old Android tablet just laying around somewhere, this could be a good use case for it. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, All right. A new type of entity landing in this release are called image entities. Um, so they're similar to the camera entity, except yeah. they only supply an image. So a great use case for this would be a QR code that provides Wi-Fi credentials for your guest network, um, a weather map. Uh, I've previously done something like this um, ages ago for my like very first when dashboards were called Lovelace dashboards um, with a windy mm-hmm. thing. I did something similar. I think I must have used like a, an iframe. Now I can potentially just use uh, this new image entity. Um, and of course, you can use the, an image of the last motion detected by a camera. Um, so, support for the new entity has been added to the AVM FritzyBox tools uh, for guest networks for guest network access, and the MQTT integration and the template integration. If you want to build your own, um, I know the Ring motion cameras, like the doorbells, they supply the last uh, image as uh, an attribute on the sensor so i might make a, a template uh image ent- integration just to push that image through uh, as an image entity to my dashboard so that's cool
0: yeah that's cool i mean it, it's it's neat too like you said like the um qr code for wi-fi kind of thing is a is is always a fun use because it's actually one i've been looking at for for a bit yeah in terms of like, where do i do it where should i do it like where should i put it um, building it's not hard you can just get like a Heck, just get like a, even if you don't want to use this, get a ESP32 with like a little screen and just yep, pop up, right? Like that kind of thing. But uh, if you do have a wall-mounted tablet, like near your front door or something, that could also be like something where you just display that entity until like the defaults could be you display that entity. So you have a guest that walks and you can just, hey, yeah. here you go. And then when you want to use it, just tap your like alarm panel or whatever and then and then do whatever you have to do, right? So that's a, or or integrate that as part of that same piece, Right, You'd like you know, on the side there, you just have a little image entity with your QR code that connects to people to Wi-Fi to your guest Wi-Fi, whatever that is.
1: Um, I have a um, a Netgear Canvas mural, and I'm just I might even be able to use. I think there's a a proxy entity, uh, a proxy attribute to show what image is currently being displayed on my canvas. So I could even create an image entity of what the current image being displayed in my canvas mural is. So in my lovely <laughs> dashboard, I could have like this is what's currently a picture displayed of your picture, of your picture. Yeah. here's a picture of your picture that's currently on your frame there you go that's right but but it is a cool it is
0: a cool like if you do want to monitor like let's say you set it up fresh and you want to yep. you're out whatever and you're just like hey you know what let me just see what if it's actually doing its thing right and uh you can see that but i mean beyond like the first hour i don't know what the use case there is yeah. but <laughs> um all right, um, copy and paste support for dashboards. So you can now cut, copy, and paste cards between dashboard views or even inside other nested cards. That is phenomenal. That's um, a yeah, game changer. So when you have to reorganize your dashboard, so for example, if you have like a horizontal stack inside a vertical stack inside of this, inside of that, and it's like, okay, well, I need to move this. You're basically recreating the entire thing right now, right? That's
1: All copying that YAML I, and getting messed yeah, up. Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's what exactly what I've been doing. So as I so I moved from I used to have static YAML whatever and I decided <laughs> a couple of months ago I I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just going to bring it all natively into Lovelace with the UI uh editor. So when I did that, I realized I'm like, okay, as I'm going through this, there there's a couple of things here which I like, I put it under the wrong like nesting or whatever. And it was just a pain. Um, this will make it so much easier. Now, unfortunately, this this is what happens to me every time. Once I've figured something out, an easier version comes out. Absolutely, after absolutely. After hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, but I'm still glad that it's here because if I do ever want to redo it, it's there, but, um, you still need to understand kind of how the other cards work in the columns and stuff like that. It's just a matter of now, if you mess up, like I did several times, it's easier to just be like, you know what, I'm just going to cut this and paste it over there. Right. Just nice and nice and smooth.
1: So the positional number, um, which is really handy, is actually displayed now when you are in edit mode on your dashboard. So Mm -hmm. I've had, um, instances where I've created a new card, um, and then I've been like, all right, it's down the bottom. How do I move it up? I'd be hitting the up arrow and it wouldn't move up. Um, so there must be like an ordering number in the background that's not being displayed. That should now be displayed yeah. against your cards. And now what you can do, uh, let's say you've got one, two, three, four, and you want to move, you know, card four to position one. Um, so it's at the top. Previously, you would have to, um, you know, constantly click the up arrow until it's at the top. Now you can just, take out number four, like you can click on the number four because it's a text box type in number one, change it to number one and it will move like teleport itself to the first position at the top of the screen. Um, Right. So yeah, now you don't have to constantly click cards around the screen and and do all that. Yeah. Which is great. I think that's also getting very close to drag and drop.
0: Uh, That's the ideal piece Mm. for me. Um, I mean, if, I'm not smart enough, but whoever is building these, if you wanna, if you wanna do that, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> um, but this, I, I, I'll take this. I mean, I went through quite a bit of pain when I had to when I had to do it before, so I will happily take this. At least as a start.
1: All right. If you're creating scripts in the interface, so through the UI, there's now a new script dialog similar to the when you create an automation through the UI. Um, click Add Script. Uh, it will now give you a prompt so you can install from a blueprint. Um I'll create a blank one. So yeah, just tweaking the flow there a little bit. So when you create scripts, it's similar to creating an automation. Here's, here's a question for you.
0: Where do you delineate where you want to use a script versus an automation?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that's an easy one. Scripts hold reusable code for me. So yeah. um let's say so I use an example before about Um, lights and being on the right uh, setting, um, I would potentially have a script that would have turn on this light and inside the script, I would have my uh, logic to work out what brightness that needs to be. So Mm -hmm. that way I don't have to put the logic of what the brightness needs to be in 100 automations. I can just put it in one script and have the 100 automations call that one script to work out to make sure it's always on the right setting. Um, yeah. Similar thing on the lights sort of uh, thing. I have a like a when I want some accent lights or some hue color changing bulbs to randomly change color. Um, I have script for that. So light. To, I would have like a turn on light to a random color. That would then go through a script. The reason I do yeah. that is because inside that script, I then also have logic that um, should it be a random color or depending on what's Date some things around the house are in. So, for example, if my dishwasher is done, don't use a random color, turn the light to pink. Or if the washing machine is done, turn the light to green, just so I yeah. have a, a central place where I can manage that logic. Does yeah. that
0: make sense? Okay. So, that, that's basically so. So, the the reason I asked is because I was actually having this conversation with somebody like two weeks ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, where do I, where, and they're new to Home Assistant, right? And, and I, I kind of explained the same thing, right? Script is that piece of reusable. Reusable uh, logic, if you want to call yeah. it, not necessarily code, reusable logic that you can call into other automations and, and so on. Um, I just didn't know if, if you had a better delineation of where you use one versus the other. But it sounds like it's fairly similar, right, in terms of uh, in terms of what I said. And and yeah, so I thought it was uh, for, for me. Again, I, I kind of described I, I, I've literally only got a single script. Right. But mm-hmm. I do call it in a couple of automations. Right. So like, for example, my, it's my good evening script. Right. So it's like turn on these lights at this and those lights at that percent, whatever. And then from an automation perspective, I call that when it's it is good evening time. Right. It'll automatically fire that off. Or like if I leave, it'll turn off some lights and I come back in, it'll fire off all that good evening again. Right. Um, but uh, but and the other thing, too, is scripts also will have a uh, it will keep your previously changed value there as well right so uh sorry no that's a scene so scripts will not do that script will still fire off and and force it to do that but um and then yeah and then there's scenes as well right so it's it's uh which is which will kind of keep those values and stuff so but i do i do leverage a couple of things there but it's for that reusability that i use it for so i i'm
1: i didn't know if other people use it for other stuff other than that so um yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. For me, it's like reusability. Also, um, once again, going like based from programming terms, I use it for like as a function as well. Um, so scripts can take variables. So um, I, for my when I'm moving around the house, I have my external speakers. You know, when I when I move into a room, the stereo speaker then compare um, with the music that's playing in another room. Um, yeah. So instead of having you know an automation for each speaker to do that. I have one automation and depending on which room is then moved into, like it will go, okay. uh, The motion sensor in the living room was activated. So I will then call the script and I will tell the script, okay, the living room motion sensor was done. um, And therefore you need to change the status of the living room play bar um, as opposed to the office, you know, Sonos one or whatever. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, That's a good use for a script there too.
1: Hmm. Because yeah, I, I think scripts are really powerful. Like the whole idea yeah. being, like if I'm going to do the same code in two automations, I may as well externalize it into a script and take the variables, uh, pass them down into yeah. a yeah. yeah into it that way. Um, and sorry, I'm going to give you one more example just because, you know, I'm a nice guy, right? I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, if you've got tags, like, like an ESP home and you want um, some NFC tags to scan, if you want to create like a jukebox for either TV or music, um, you could then have that as a script and then have, um, all the variables. So depending on which uh, ESP home device was used to scan, you could, all right. This ESP home device was scanned. Um, I want it to play music on this speaker or this TV show on this TV. Um, yeah. That would be another good use case for a script.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and or even for playing the the, the actual content, right? That can be the variable there, and then yeah. everything else stays static, right? So
1: yeah, because in yeah, the script uh, you could have like multiple variables. Like right? you can have you know it would just exactly. yeah. Um, there's so many ways to skin a cat in Home Assistant, and I guarantee you there are. You know, you could do. Yeah. You don't need to use scripts. You could do it in automations. You um, could do it in Node.js if you really wanted to. Sorry, not Node.js. Um, uh, Node Red. Oh, Node Red. Thank you. God, too yep. many nodes. <laughs> I know, but yes, I know. there you go. Yeah. No, that's cool.
0: All right. Uh, moving on. Time zone support. So now you can you can also select what time zone your home assistant interface is in your user profile. So if you're traveling or if you have family members in other time zones and so on, uh, you can leverage that. So basically you can say, hey, I'm here and then my home assistant is in that other time zone. And then based on that, it can go and alter time zone. So if you're doing like a cross country trip, for example, maybe you're crossing some time zones, so on and so forth. You can actually uh that might come in handy there um as an example I don't know if that's a that's like a like a common use, but I think it's it's uh pretty handy to have right so yeah i guess it's
1: it's necessary, it's necessary for some parts of the system as well, for example, like if you're uh in the u s and you're looking at a instance that's in Europe, the energy dashboard for example, would be completely out of whack. Because yeah. six hours, it's basically on your time zone and it's trying to pull um, in your yeah. in the other time zone. Yeah, it just gets out of whack. So yeah, last fired at
0: 12 a.m. Well, it's actually 6 a.m. here, right? So, yeah. but that's... Yeah,
1: yeah, last, yeah and then it would say, you know, last fired six hours ago when it was actually three seconds ago, right? Um,
0: right, because based on your time. So yeah, yeah it's, it's handy for when you're traveling and such. But I think what... Would be cool to kind of tie along with that would be if the Home Assistant Companion app, uh, based on GPS data, could place your time zone. right? Well, it should already do that.
1: Yeah, but, but I mean, it can go in
0: and adjust your profile to do that.
1: Oh, gotcha. I think that, that might actually have, they have support for that. So in oh, your okay. profile, you can um, say, all right, should I use my device's time zone or should I use the Home Instance's time zone? Um, yeah yeah
0: yeah. but i mean but i'm so with this time zone support now i think Mm. like tying all of those pieces together um i think would be pretty neat yeah gotcha Right, um because now it'll it'll because what this brings in is it 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 adjusts uh adjusts the front end times right so like you said something happened at 12 but it's currently six but it's not right like so so based on time zones there as i'm traveling throughout that can constantly update otherwise i have to go in and say hey go profile rohan time zone is currently uh, you, yeah. time zone is currently whatever right wherever i, I am
1: yeah i think um, so uh, yeah you should be able to just set it mind. to say whatever device time zone i've got use that
0: right right and and it's showing you on your device is what it normally does versus and and because that's that whole issue you were saying right like mm. two seconds ago could be six hours ago if there's a time zone issue there
1: yeah right? gotcha so yeah all right unavailable automations and scripts so if an automation or a script has an error it will now show up as unavailable in the interface so when you then select that automation it will show you why that error message is there so uh you can go on and fix your automation so if you've got a typo or a mutation issue in your automation somewhere rather than it you know just completely crashing everything it should in theory mark it as unavailable um and away you go that's perfect
0: super fast bluetooth proxies um also i love the bluetooth proxy functionality right i've been using it for a while and uh it's phenomenal But they're even faster now, like really, really fast. Uh, um, (laughs) So when when you update your ESP32s with the latest ESP Home and this release of Home Assistant, uh, basically what happens is um, it sends the raw data from those Bluetooth devices directly to Home Assistant. So Home Assistant is processing it, not that pre-process. It doesn't get filtered or pre-processed on the on the ESP itself. So that way, what that does is uh, Effectively, you should see somewhere like 40 to 80% drop in network communication between the ESP and uh, and Home Assistant itself. So there is if you use a native Bluetooth stick, like a USB that's plugged into your whatever Raspberry Pi or Nook or whatever you use to, to run Home Assistant in, um, and you haven't moved over to Bluetooth proxy, there's a good reason to do so now. Again, like ESP32s are not super expensive for what they are they're actually and for the most part they're probably cheaper than your blue billy stick um but you know they're uh, they're really handy to have um and the nice thing is it doesn't have to be around your mm. uh wherever your home assistant uh install is right so I, I don't have to be like if that's on in my basement or in my attic somewhere where you know i'm out of range I can move this I can move the ESP32 because at that point I just need wireless right and say as long as I have Wi-Fi connectivity I can uh, effectively move that uh, remote BLE uh, stick effectively is what that is so yeah but uh, it's great to see that I will be updating my ESP homes like now
1: yeah apparently there's a it's a huge update um on the credit call, they talked about you know Wi-Fi, Bluetooth packets, and packaging them all up, and it got a bit. You'd have a, a field day. You'd like you'd be able to tell me, exactly what all that meant. It got a bit over my head, but the TLDR sure. is there. Just update, um, and if you can use them, use the proxies um, because yeah, you'll, you'll see a, a big improvement. Yeah, I literally, I literally just clicked update all on my uh, <laughs> my, nice. my XP. Literally that. <laughs> Uh, because I like that, you know what, what I would like to see. Look, we have the same IKEA desk. I'd like to see the IKEA desks we have as a native, as an integration in Home Assistant. So then I don't have to run yeah. that code on an ESP32 to then be a bridge to the IKEA desk, which is just Bluetooth. Yeah,
0: it's it's been an ask. It's in. I think I saw it in the ESP32 like um, feature request. Yep. Like I think it's in GitHub somewhere. Um, I think I'd, I'd, it might just be a level of effort. It might be something else, but um, yeah, if you, those of you that know what you're doing, I mean, feel free to contribute. It's the Ikea. I think it's the IDISN desk is what it's yes, called, but that's why, but yeah, it'd be, be cool to see that in there too, and just pick up the table and off you go. Right. I think it has to be an active connection. Cause I think you actually need to like on the desk, you need to pair it. Yes. Um, yes. That may be where some of that,
1: Logic breaks down, so it's
0: not like a passive read it's like, not okay. but i don't know if that's necessarily a big deal i think it depends on how like how the esp32 advertises itself like is it advertising yeah. itself or is it advertising like a virtual ble um id of home assistant yeah right so i think depending on how how that is that may or may not work potentially i don't know maybe i, I don't really yeah maybe okay
1: <laughs> well i understand what you're saying like there, there, may,
0: there may be a reason it, it, it's not feasible, or maybe it's just honestly just cycles. This hasn't been done yeah. yet, potentially. So.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, the HomeKit controller integration has been renamed to HomeKit device. There was a change in the last release about um, yeah. HomeKit stuff. So it's just to make it more clear what that the integration is to integrate the HomeKit devices into Home Assistant. So no change, uh, not a breaking change or anything. It's just a slight little rename there. Terminology.
0: Apple TV integration now supports launching apps with deep links. So that means if you have like a URI that's like YouTube colon slash slash whatever, um, it can fire off YouTube as an example in uh, in the uh, Apple TV. Yep, and also watch with, a
1: specific video on YouTube, I'm guessing.
0: Correct, correct, right? And and same with like Netflix or Disney Plus or Apple TV uh, Plus or whatever yes. whatever it's called, like whatever they are, but yeah it is uh that's actually pretty handy because now if you're like hey go like if you have an automation to play an episode of your favorite show that's out say hey go play this and it can actually fire off that uri to uh your apple tv and it can go and play that uh whatever that is right Um, hopefully we'll start seeing more apps in there too um i don't know what I think it looks like it's a subset of apps but maybe that mm. those are just examples. So oh no they are examples of deep links in in popular applications that's that's on the release notes but um if you do have you know like for example like a IPTV system or something like that and use uh, that you run through uh that you run through your Apple TV you say hey go fire this up right and you know go do that. Uh, and same thing with embedding like we talked about the uh the jukebox right the NFC jukebox mm. uh or go off instead of having several actions to go play this go find this video go play that video tap it and just fires off a call to um turn on your tv and stuff but then beyond that um open directly open this deep link
1: yep which is um the Reborock integration has added the cleaning area sensors and switches to control do not disturb mode so yes bringing more of those Nice little features into that integration. Yeah. Yeah. Still like yours, Joe? Love it. Like, obsessed yeah, with it. I, I um, The only thing I, I hate about it is having to constantly uh, refill the water tank because I don't know if we're yeah, using yeah. it too much, but like every, you know, once or twice a week, it's like, hey, I'm out of water. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I'll go fill you up. I yeah, still haven't managed I to did,
0: automate I it properly. but. good with it. I've been pretty good. I, I've yeah. got to say, uh, it's filling up my water. Um, the the thing I'm not great with is the um, like when I if I get the notification being like, hey, like the the dust bag or whatever it's called is is full.
1: I'm like, yeah.
0: ah, I've got a couple more uses out of it. <laughs> <And then laughs> I'll, for a little while, and then I'm like, All right, I really have to
1: change it now. <laughs> but uh, I think I, I hope that i be like. We don't get to a, a world where the dust bags have like a chip in them, similar to printer cartridges, to say you know are oh using don't the wrong. Really, don't don't don't, don't. don't just, put it out just, in the universe.
0: Yeah, if uh, that that is the day I stop buying whosoever's
1: products. Yeah,
0: like, but yeah. All right, let's talk about some new integrations. Um, Dremel, their three D printers are now uh, integrated into Home Assistant. So you can monitor your Dramel three D printer and check out the pro- uh, how far along it is in the progress wise, and yeah, maybe control a couple of
1: things. Hopefully, yeah. Right, yeah, you just got a three D printer, didn't you?
0: I did. Um, I did just get a three D printer, and it has been so much fun. Um, which one did you get? I got the Bamboo Lab X One Carbon, um, which is you know, far more of an iPhone style uh, 3d printer compared to a lot of the others. Yep. Um, costs as much as an iPhone. I can tell you that. And then if not more, <laughs> but it, it is very simple to use. Um, again, I think I'm at the point where uh, for that specifically, I don't want to get, get to the tinkering. I just like, like, I just want it to work. Yeah. Uh, and, and so far it has been great. There's a home assistant, um, it's a hacks add on, Mm -hmm. Uh, that is it cloud based
1: uh, or local based
0: it's both so there is a cloud option but it is uh, i believe the hacks add-on uses it locally nice um what i learned i was just googling around the other day but it they actually have a built-in mqtt server on that thing so i can go pull stats and do all those things from mqtt i don't know how it works for um like let's say like turning on the light that's inside there, right? Like uh, obviously that's a write function. Like can it read a read an MQTT topic saying hey go turn it on, or is that an actual API call? I believe that's an API call, uh, the way it's at right now. But I can pull you can pull statistics and a lot of those kind of pieces off of MQTT on there. I haven't played with that part yet. I've just I just use the hacks integration because I'm lazy and it works. <laughs> uh, just to you know monitor the print and stuff
1: like that. Yeah, um, not nice or anything with it but just i have it in there i'll figure out what i want to do after (laughs) any home automation specific things you're looking forward to printing
0: um more things for like esp32 cases and stuff like that um i do want to i haven't figured out exactly how i want to do this but uh for outside i want to put a couple of sensors and stuff like that um so i might i might build some stuff for there i'm i'm still in the process of learning um fusion 360 i've been going through like just tutorials on youtube and stuff like that and then when i get confident enough to actually start designing my own stuff then then i might uh i might dabble in a couple of those things but for now it's just mostly just like i'm trying not to do tchotchkes just because i'm not a like like I, I i just hate like collecting stuff if that makes yeah. sense Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but or I don't hate it. I I just find it like I'll, I'll be like oh this is cool and it'll stay there and like a month later I'm like alright and then just chuck it right. It's just it's just wasteful and and I don't really want to do that. But it's been like I don't know like a, just stuff that's functional. I I just 3D printed earlier. I was showing you Phil, but for those of you on YouTube, I just somebody made this and threw it up on like Thingiverse. But it's basically like a little hanger for my ties, right? Like yep just stuff like that. Um, I've I've printed it's like I desk that I designed for my wife for her job and like those kind of things. Right. So I'm um, trying to make it more functional rather than just like right Thank <laughs> <Like, laughs>
1: you. So. All right. Well, I'll look forward to seeing what you come up with. Yeah. Um, DiscoverG is a new integration in Home Assistant. So I believe they're in the Netherlands. Um, so yeah, you can read out your gas and electricity meters in Home Assistant now. Always handy. It's Cool. Um, Renson.
0: um, uh, same kind of deal, but ventilation system. So you can go in and monitor your Renson uh, ventilation systems with home system now. Uh,
1: locked, maybe locked was the one that's in the Netherlands. Um, L O Q E D. They've got a smart lock, um, that are now integrated into home as well. Oh, that's cool. Um, another lock, which is cool. I will
0: oh that's a neat little sorry i just started i started googling <laughs> <a lot. laughs>
1: like didn't you get a, a lock for your door in the end like you don't need one anymore
0: i did i did um i don't love it i i think it's more just my door that i hate overall um yeah. but this is one of the only ones that actually fits my door for the bore size and stuff and um for those of you that didn't listen to our earlier episodes basically i have an issue where i can drill out to be a more regular um, size however i have a window pane that's directly there so i will be drilling through the window uh or not through the window through the frame of the window which will just mm. be a huge pain potentially through the window itself but yeah so i need a new door and i don't want to spend like i don't know four thousand dollars or whatever it is for, for a new door Yeah, um, crazy, right? even even a, like two thousand is is very expensive for for what i want to spend um all right, let's talk some breaking changes um, ESP home has some additional security hardening uh, that's applied to it so the ESP home devices will now have the ability to call any home assistant service um, so but before it can be granted to call that service um, and you'll have a repair issue that's raised in home assistant telling you to uh, basically asking you for permission to allow the ESP to do um, whatever task that you're trying to do right to call that service. Um, so if you have ESP Home today, existing devices, those should be fine. Um, but they'll already that, have that the is, permissions. Yeah, they'll already have permissions. But you do um, if you do put in new new devices in there and stuff, That uh, just keep an eye out on the repair
1: uh, screen there. All right. Um, so Home Assistant is attempting to reduce the amount of breaking changes they've got. So Home Assistant is now requiring that any YAML configuration option that is deprecated, it must now be uh, have a deprecation notice for at least six months before it is removed from YAML. So um, what the team were finding is that not everyone is updating the home assistant every month, right? Uh, and with only you know two release cycles, you know, if you're, I'm waiting four months, five months to update my home assistant, then I may have missed that breaking change. Um, so yeah, um, they've also uh, improved it a little bit further as well. Where possible, an automation, an automatic migration is required, um, and an issue in the repairs dashboard is to be raised if the deprecation applies to your configuration. So okay. if you have an integration in your YAML files today that moves over to the UI, there's going to be two changes: one that your YAML will still work for at least six months, and two, that the YAML will be automatically moved to the UI if it is possible. Um, so, um, and also a repair notice issued to say remove this from your YAML configuration. So, yeah, that's yeah. A pretty good change. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't. For the first part, I don't know how much extending it out six months is really going to change a breaking change it's still gonna still gonna be a breaking change right it's just a matter of it gives you time to adjust to it and i guess it's also trying to
1: get people's attention more right like because there are there are people now that wouldn't see the issue being noticed like raised in their logs at all because they don't update that frequently
0: um okay so there's a new product department in Nabucasa. um so the idea is they want to give users more uh, more of a voice uh, in the roadmap for home assistant. So there is I believe it's more like a product management style of a person that's that's been brought in. Phil, I know you were you were on the creators call when they talked yeah, about this.
1: Yeah, so there's going to be there's a product manager and I think there's also like uh, a more UI UX focused Person um, on the team as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, the idea being that the product manager, they're actually in the Discord channels, um, they're talking to users, they're trying to give basically the users of Home Assistant a voice. um, Because right now, the roadmap of Home Assistant is developer focused, right? It's, you know, we've always said, you know, if you want it fixed, if there's a bug you want it fixed, raise a PR, right? Um, And we just assume that everyone using Home Assistant is a developer. We want to move away from that. Um, and have you know, product managers actually dictate on a roadmap and say, "Hey, this is what would make the product better from a user's point of view, not from what's f- you know fun and good from a developer's point of view." Um, so yeah, maybe that's my product management uh, talk coming out yeah. a bit there, um, but that's where what a product manager should be doing there. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it's I think it's a good thing. I mean, there's not. Uh... It's not really a downside to it as long as the community is still centric to that, right? Like exactly, uh, exactly. At, at the point, I mean, like if that ever changes, then I will change my opinion about that. But I think for now, it's uh, it's not a bad thing, right? It's, it's looking after things like, hey, you know, I'd love to have this kind of feature. I'd love to have these kind of features and then potentially prioritizing those features, right? So let's say even if it's right now, it's 100% what the developer's Build and that's it. And then maybe this is more of a fifty-fifty or something like that, right? I,
1: and if we want to remove that stigma that like you need to be a developer to use home assistant, then we need someone that's not a developer or doesn't have a develop like has a users yeah. a non-developer uses you know, in mind when designing things. So Yeah. yeah. I think it's good. I agree. I it's good. All right. So PJ emailed feedback at haspodcast.io. In the last release episode, Rahan, I talked about my idea for the Zigbee, the Aquara Zigbee door window sensor, how I wanted to know the state of my sliding door, if it was locked or unlocked. Um, so PJ emailed in he said, Hi, I've just listened to that episode and uh, you mentioned using those Zigbee door sensors. Well, uh, here are some tips because I'm actually using that very same solution. So, tip number one it appears that Aquara door window sensors have two additional soldering spots on the PCB just on either side of the read switch. So, in my limited testing, I was actually able to Um, Without doing any soldering, if I just jumped those two spots on the switch, I was able to trigger the switch. So that's uh, what sort of gave me this idea of doing this in the first place. Um, Tip number two uh, from PJ was um, a micro switch was small and easy to implement, but it is not too durable, and after a couple of months, it just broke. So I'm guessing a a micro switch must be something really tiny, that when the pin of the door lock touches it, it just flicks the switch on or off. Um, So what he did find was, um, he found a better solution, and that was springs. So if you have enough space in the frame, of course. So uh, I used springs from the battery slot from an old toy, and springs had a piece of metal attached to it, so it was ready to be glued inside the door frame. So I'm guessing, you know, two, um, uh, what is it, the... Negative side of the battery, those springs that are at the negative side of the battery that you would push against on a, from the battery compartment. you just used two of those. So as the pin from the lock touches those and completes the circuit, would then um, trigger that acquire door sensor um, to mark as locked. In Home Assistant, so and then he goes on. PJ goes on. I've had I've got the lock configured as um oh sorry I've got the door sensor configured as a lock domain, and now I can mm-hmm. ask my Google Assistant about the lock's status, and it will tell me which one is locked or unlocked. I can also start some automations triggered by locking or unlocking a door. Um, I can't automatically lock them, obviously, but that wasn't the intention. Uh, PJ, thank you so much for that. Um PJ's also been kind enough to share some photos as well. We'll leave them up on the show notes on haspodcast.io. Um check That's it out there. So I
0: know I know there's there's folks that like have typically like either desoldered the read mm-hmm. switch or just cut off the, the read part of it and then soldered yep. onto there and stuff like that. Can you so is it those pads that you solder onto is that the same pad? So it's effectively like door open or door close is what it's saying, or is there a way to uh, say to have those those pins that you solder this onto, is it possible to have that as an independent domain so you can still use it as a door window sensor, but then also use it as a lock sensor?
1: So the problem there, so the issue you've got is that the sensor only exposes one state, which is on or off. Yeah. Um, now, what I was able to do without breaking the device, I actually kept the little reed in place. Which yeah. is just a, it's a little magnet, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when the magnet gets close to it, it completes the circuit, right? It essentially joins yeah. the two sides of the reed switch together, which completes the circuit, which changes the state, so on or off. Um, I was able to just put a jump wire on either side of the reed switch um, and complete the circuit that way and I didn't take the read out. So therefore you could, in theory, right. just put a magnet up to it and it would still do the same thing. Um, okay. So so it's still yep. the
0: same. So it it is the same circuit as the read switch itself. So yes. closing yes.
1: this would close effectively the read switch. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and then in home, this isn't because you can use the device classes. You can then say this isn't a, a door or this isn't a window. It's actually a lock and the state is locked or unlocked. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, cool. so I'm actually glad someone else had the the idea. Um, so glad I'm not the only one out there. Yeah, well, that's neat. Awesome, um, I think
0: that's our episode. Episodes. Yeah, and yeah, 2022.7. All right, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. All right, Cheers. take care.
1: If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io that's h-a-s-s podcast.io
0: the home assistant podcast is hosted by phil hawthorne and myself rohan caramandi for links to topics we discussed today check out our show notes on haspodcast.io